Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to be discussing sow cooling and the use of cooling pads to reduce heat stress on sows in the farrowing house. Joining us is Dr. Alan Schenkel. How are you doing today, Dr. Schenkel? I'm doing fine. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to share with the audience some of the research you've been able to do over the past few years around sow cooling. And now it sounds like boar cooling and also gilt cooling. So if you wouldn't mind to start out, just share your background and tell us how you got involved with the swine industry. Well, I grew up in eastern Iowa, about three miles north and one mile west of the walk at I-80 exchanges, if you ever drive on Interstate 80. Yeah. I lived in the valley and we farrowed 90 sows when I was small, twice a year out in pasture. And then we had some of the first farrowing crates about 1963. Um, and we had farrow to finish. We started with a building up an Angus herd and we built that up to about 60 cows. And we also had a two to 300 head beef cattle feedlot. So, and when I grew up, we had chickens and ducks and, you know, we're the typical small farm. Sounds like it. What was a what was a farrowing crate like in 1963? What what was there many differences? Um, we had some of the first ones that were still on solid concrete and straw, and then later we you know you elevated them, but um, they were lifetime crates from like Kiwani, Illinois, and you could put them together. And we would actually put them in the barn, let the sows farrow, and then take them out of the barn. Oh wow. And then we let the sows in and out three times a day. Slightly more labor intensive. Definitely. My, my grandfather, he had, a, he had a shed with about 20 some crates in it where you'd have to bring sows in. It was more of your typical family farm. And yeah, it was a much more lengthy process. It's, it's crazy how things have evolved over, over the past few decades. I guess when we're looking at an evolving industry. Innovation has been taking a forefront of the conversation in so many ways, uh, especially where we've come with genetics, nutrition, and uh, precision ag. But what you guys have been able to do is is look at sow cooling and maybe some of the infrastructure around around just managing the environment. Can you talk to us a little bit about what research you've been doing to build a better understanding around and, and around how we can solve sow cooling? Well, first of all, I'll let you know that you really have to have a team because heat stress is going to affect, from a management nutrition standpoint, 
it's going to affect you from a reproductive standpoint and, and when the animals develop follicles and days from weaning to asteris and future conception rates. Um, they also, you have, we, I work a lot with Jay Johnson, who's you, who's actually with USDA, a heat stress physiologist, but you really have to understand the heat stress physiology. And I became interested because I started reading articles and I do mathematical modeling, but a modern sow today produces about 55 to 70% more heat. And we measure heat in watts, how many calories per minute kind of thing, um, than the sow did in the mid-80s. Oh, wow. Increased litter size, increased metabolic rate, increased milk production. And the two drivers of heat production are milk production and feed intake. So what we, I guess, didn't know is as we were trying to drive a better milking sow and one that consumed more during the early stages of farrowing, uh, we're, we're inadvertently creating a sow that's warmer. Well, she's going to produce more heat and her upper critical temperature, the temperature that she starts panting, has gone down if you follow the literature to a the estimate is now that a sow in late lactation eating nine kilograms per day, it can be as low as 15 to 16 C that she wants to be at. And you'll see in the past, a old, old 60, 70, oh, a sow at 25 C is fine. A sow at 25 C today is overheated. Hmm. So as the sow, sows have somewhat gotten larger, their lean mass has gotten heavier. They need to eat more feed. They need to be kept cooler and cooler and cooler to the point we can't cool the farrowing house that cool. We can't have a farrowing house be at 15 to 18 C. We'd have a high mortality rate, especially the first seven days. So then what have you guys done to try and, and solve that? Well, there were some people who, have, who looked at steel pipes and concrete. And you quickly realize that that's not the most efficient way of transferring heat. The most efficient metals to transfer heat are aluminum and copper, followed a little bit later by stainless steel. So I had the idea first. I took it to Dr. S uh, Robert Swally in ag engineering. We had a series of senior ag engineering projects and prototypes of, of uh, using aluminum clip-ons that clip onto copper pipe that's used in uh, human, uh, I mean in human houses for uh, hot water heating and um, attach that to a tread plate and then the sow um, in the farrowing house we have a two foot wide, a four foot long aluminum plate that has copper pipes that run underneath it. And the copper pipes are attached with a special clip that clip the copper pipe very tight. And our goal, we did a lot of what you call bench testing. We would have a 
big tank of water that we would keep at 37, 38 degrees centigrade. We'd have another big tank of water with controlled at 18C, that was our chilled water. And we, would, we could measure by the amount of water that flowed and the amount that it increased in temperature and um, measure the amount of heat that we're removing. And then we went through multiple designs. And the final design, the pipes go back and forth eight times. So the pipes are about, well, if they're less, they're about three inches apart. And um, we found out that if we have a constant flow, we're talking about a flow rate of about a quarter to eight tenths of a liter per minute. And a quarter per liter per minute is as slow as you can do a faucet and it's still a stream. And that's all the water flow you need. Um, oh, wow. That, our, that's pretty impressive that that's all the water flow you actually need. That's I mean, all the water flow you would need if the fairing house was at the temperature you would set it at, like let's say about 65 degrees. As the temperature gets warmer in the fairing house, then the maximum that we've ever had to use at 36 degrees C, which is... 96, 97 degrees Fahrenheit, and we add humidity with a swamp cooler, is 0.8 liters per minute. Um, we have flushed the water because we have a big lagoon, and in the summertime, we're going to use that water for irrigation anyway. We now have designed a, a closed system, and um, in commercial operations, you'd have a closed system and either use geothermal or a water chiller and then chill the water down and recycle it. And then in the prototypes, the next version of the prototype was electronically controlled. And okay. we're working on analyzing data, but you, we have thermal couples, three of them under the base of the pad, and we can control the flushing of the pad. So we have a... Um, a valve and just like a washing machine where the water turns on and off we have a solenoid and we flush the water and we can control the set temperature and then we can also have a, a or we can control the set the time between flushes then we can decrease the amount of water by about 40 to 50 percent because we allow the water to collect heat and then we flush it out. Uh, the pipes hold about 1.75 liters. We need to flush it about two liters, to make sure all the warm water is out because there's a little mixing. And we reduce the water that we need even more because we let it collect a, a fair amount of heat. So the water may come in at 17C and it will go up to 29C and then we'll flush it out. Um, so is this, is this used in production currently, or is no. this something that's kind of coming down the road? It's coming down the road. We have non-disclosure agreements with a number of companies, and we have prototypes that we're going to be evaluating and uh, start doing bench testing on also. So were there any 
like crazy challenges that you faced along the way? I mean, in, in, in invention in general, there's a lot of challenges, but <laughs> any fun stories or problems you had to solve that you just never imagined would, would happen? Well, the one problem is that you have these pipes on the bottom side and if, if you're going to make a, a thousand of them, you would form inject them. But the first mold for a form injection can be thousands and thousands of dollars. So to make 24 pads, we had to buy a big sheet of high density polyethylene and then use a computerized router that would remove about 30% of the plastic where the copper pipes would fit down in because you want to insulate the bottom. Well, that high density polyethylene gets very hot and so they really had to slow the routers down to make the bases of the pad. Hmm. And in the future, you would, you would have the top of the pad made, and then you would form, put some insulation around it, and then just form inject it so the bottom was completely sealed. Interesting. After, so you almost had to learn the hard way the first time. Yes, and... I learned even putting in a screw and taking out a screw that I didn't put in straight, that there's a lot of heat produced when you drill into high-density polyethylene as I burned my fingers. Oh, wow. But, um, and then so what? And I also learned, um, well, I learned a lot. There, there is variation from sow to sow, and some sows during heat stress will just sleep, and some sows, when you heat the room to... Uh, 92, 93, 94 degrees, they don't like it very much. And um, there's difference in, in the animal response to heat stress from sow to sow. So what, what other results did you find? Well, we found out that even at 36 degrees C, and that's as, about as high as we want to go, because we have to not greatly do harm to any control animals, we can cool the animal down with 0.8 liters per minute. And even at 36C, if we run 1.2 liters a minute, we'll overchill the animal. Oh, wow. And we can get respiration rates below 30 and as low as 24, 25, completely, absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Well, that sounds relaxed. The, the other sows are <laughs> and just panting. And um, we still have more to learn and, and do some in-depth research that we need to know what the heat increment is when a sow eats a big meal. We may be working with companies with uh, sow feeders and, and being able to collect data after a sow's eaten a big meal, because the more the sow eats, the more heat we need to remove. So the next step will be using machine learning, artificial intelligence, other models to account for some of the variation from sow to sow. And, and you probably know this, but the variation in weaning weights, the coefficient of variation within a parity is about 20%. So, mm -hmm. and milk production is highly related to weaning weights. There's also about a 
22% coefficient of variation per daily feed intake. And so you can use the NRC model and model what the heat production is. It'll be five to 600 watts. And the, the coefficient of variation is also 20%. So the next in the future will be uh, what form of logic do you use with the set temperatures or with the set times and then you can also know with a weather forecast how warm it's going to be hmm. and how does your barn respond if the um, sunlight is going to be at a high level humidity is high and it's going to be a high of 95 degrees on this day and then you could change the logic of the pads as far as the set temperatures or set times and never allow the animal to accumulate any excess heat. And this isn't just in sows from what you were saying before we even hopped on the, on the call here, we touched base earlier. You're actually saying this, this can be helpful for boars and potentially gilts too, right? Yes. We just completed a trial uh, and some of our funding has been through Purdue Ag Seed, which helps start up research from the state of Indiana, but it was with Kara Stewart and Jay Johnson. Um, we first did it on open gilts to try to get, you know, how much heat do we need to remove? And scale-fed gilts, we found out at, that are open and 350 pounds don't get hot so fast, but we found out the boars do, and our boars were about 380 pounds, and we fed them about 5.5 pounds a day. You have to allow boars to grow a little bit to maximize semen output. But the boars, the boars didn't, we went to 32C um, for three days and then collected semen for six weeks. And then we took them to 35C and collected semen for six weeks. But um, the cooling pads stopped any semen damage but the semen of the boars that were 32C were hurt some, at 35C were hurt a lot. Um, this data is going to be presented a lot with Kara Stewart and her grad student Larissa, uh, starting a lot next spring at the Midwest meetings. But the cooling pads work on the boars also. So and was that something that you knew going in uh, was likely to be a, be a, a takeaway, or is that something that kind of surprised you? Well, what surprised me is that I couldn't find any data on the heat production of, you know, like 387-pound boars. And for some reason, the boars, within 40 minutes, um, we, we heat the room up fairly quickly to 32C, in 40 minutes, their respiration rate was already way up 110, 120. It took the gilts two and a half hours to build up enough excess heat. A lactating sow, if you heat the room to 32C, it only takes about 20 minutes or less. But the boars we don't totally understand, but the boars are producing more heat than an open gilt. Hmm. It's substantially more, uh, and, it, and I think it has to do with their basic basal metabolic rate and you know testosterone, um, lean mass, 
but we were only feeding them one more pound per day than we were feeding the gilts. So it, the boars, it's a, um, how do I say this? It's a challenging trial because you need to have enough boars, and we had 26 with two spares and then 24 in the actual experiment. You have to have 24 boars absolutely ready to go. And the only reason you've put all that uh, time in and then get what their semen quality is before the experiment, right after the experiment, and then follow it out for six weeks. So it's a lot of semen collection for that experiment and semen evaluation. So how has research like this and success like this changed the way that you might look at the future of our industry? Well, if, if, we, can, if we could cool down the breeding stock, we could, we could reduce substantially if 80 90 percent of the impact of heat stress and our decreased reproductive performance during the summer months we still need to do some more research with how much the animals need to be chilled until you get them bred but heat stress to the swine industry the estimate is that it's a cost of somewhere 600 to 700 million dollars a year for just the u.s for just the u.s about that's incredible about the same as pers um and 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 there's other heat stress has such impact because the sows that don't reproduce in the summer months you have to increase the gilt pool size you have more call gilts um, it decreases your longevity. It hurts your pigs per sow per year. Uh, it, de- it changes your sow parity distribution. Um, it, 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 the summer months, especially where it's warm and humid, uh, have a substantial impact. And, and the next steps are to, you know, to put prototype pads in in the summer but the impact of the cooling is going to be always a function of how hot and humid the environment is. Um, but we can see feed intakes. There's been research done with other cooling pads. They used a lot more water, two liters a minute, and removed uh, 80 to 100 watts. Our pads, if the sow is heated up, can remove 500 watts. And typically, if it's a if we hold them at 35C, they run 250 to 300 watts heat removal. Um, we'll see drastically increased feed intakes. Even it's incredible 20, that we can look at the sow and the, and the boars and the gilts like this now, or you can almost just have such an in-depth level of control over just their, their heat and their energy. And uh, it's just crazy how how fast our industry is moving. What uh, other research or projects might you be working on that you might want to want to share here quick? Well, with the cooling pads, it's been delayed a little bit with COVID-19 that I'm never happy about, but we have 
a top undergrad student and Jay Johnson and, and Dr. Swally and I are, are going to be using a smaller number of sows with indirect calorimetry. As soon as a sow gets warm, she shuts down her milk production and her GI tract. Blood flow to the GI tract gets reduced and blood gets shunted to the skin. But um, digestion gets slowed down, endogenous losses get slowed down. But we're going to measure, we're going to put sows on cooling pads and not on cooling pads and in indirect calorimeters and measure how much and how quickly the sow's heat production is reduced when the animal is heat stressed. And we also are going to look at how heat stress changes the diurnal pattern of milk production and heat production and, and feed intake. So if, if we cool the sows down, we should maintain the normal pattern of feed intake and milk production, where during the hot summer months, our estimates are when it's the middle of the day and two, three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon, that sow's milk production right at that time could be reduced 60, 70, even 80%. Because the, the animal's response to heat stress is to shut down milk production and shut down her visceral organ digestive tract metabolism. But that's going to be the next trial. It's going to be a little bit challenging because we've got to have the animals completely sealed up and collect their intake and exhaust gases. But we're essentially progressing to the point where we're going to go into modeling and modeling the optimal amount of cooling for each individual animal in real time. Knowing awesome. how what that sow's eaten, what's her litter weight gain, how many watts of heat should we re be removing. And the cooling pads that we have right now on a real-time basis are measuring the amount of heat we're removing because they measure the amount of water flow that's going through and the heat, the temperature of the inlet water and the temperature of the outlet water. Now, I will also comment that some of this research in the very beginning, I had a, um, how do I say this? Phenomenal grad student named Francisco Cabazon, who's now in charge of uh, director of research for Agri Super in Chile, but he was one of the top undergrads of Chile. And we did research with heat stress with betaine, um, looked at feed intake curves, models of heat production, and um, he did. He assisted a lot, and I could bounce off ideas off of him and um, he was a perfect student because he had a joint animal science ag engineering degree yeah and when you marry the two worlds of engineering and animal science you get some pretty amazing inventions and innovations and uh improvements to the industry that's for sure so they're going to be um, digital ag and precision ag and real-time uh, logic for the cooling pads. So what golden nugget might you have for listeners uh, that they could take home? Well, 
one thing is in the summer months and generally overall check some of the respiration rates that you have on your boars and on your on your sows 40 or less is is your is your ideal 40 is kind of the borderline but um respiration rates are pretty easy to check we found out that the skin temperatures are not as accurate as you'd like to be to have them be as measure of heat stress because it's kind of an interface with the environment and skin temps always go up with the environment and do watch your sow feed intakes um how much less are your sows eating in the summer months um and then I, I quickly learned how multidisciplinary this is. It's genetics, it's mathematical modeling, it's ag engineering, it's impact on reproduction. And um, heat stress has impacts to stress the animal in a number of ways. Um, that ultimately is going to affect reproduction and, and the animal's longevity in the herd. So if people want to get a hold of you, whether it's producers, industry members, general public, how can they, how, how should they reach out? Well, I answer a lot of emails and my email is ashink, A-S-C-H-I-N-C-K at purdue.edu. They can also find me on Facebook, but you'll also find out people tease me a lot on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, be, it's, always, it's always good to be careful who gets into the Facebooks, then they figure out uh, how your friend community treats you, and, and uh, there's usually a lot of sarcasm involved there. <laughs> well, we really thank you for joining the Popular Pig Podcast. It's really been a pleasure to have you on sharing the research, the innovation, and the journey of heat stress and the sow cooling technology you've been able to work on and create within Purdue with your various colleagues. We wish you the very best as you move forward with this technology. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.